Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, we're flying today. Uh, if you don't have a chart and a notebook with a Bible reading schedule, you can grab one of those at the Welcome Center. You can slip back there and do it now, or you can do that after the service today, but you're going to need that to track with us. A big shout-out to Jason Hubner for covering for me last Sunday. I was away in Mississippi doing <clears throat> a wedding for one of my nieces down there. Well, if you've been tracking with us, we are, we are walking through the greatest story. It's the story of the Bible. And um, this is our diagram that we have so far. We have talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. Joseph was sent down to Egypt by his brothers, sold into slavery. We talked about that two weeks ago, if you were here for that. <clears throat> so that's where we start our story today. The, the, the children of Israel are down in Egypt. And again, I'm using this chart and using some stuff that goes all the, back, all the way back to my Bible college days. I don't know if Russ got some of this when he was in seminary or not, but he might have. I don't know. Uh, Russ and I went to the same school. So this is all part of God's plan of redemption. Remember, God is at work. And, and let's go back, let's step back for a minute, back in to Genesis. In Genesis 46.3, it says this. He, God is talking to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel today, the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Now, I, now I think Jacob needed to hear this because he was in the land that God had promised to them. Sure, they were starving, but it was a big step to pick up your family and leave the land that God had chosen. So he needed permission from God, and God himself was saying, I will make you a great nation there, which I'm sure he's kind of wondering. There's a bunch of Egyptians that are living down there. How are you going to make us into a great nation? I mean, how do you connect these dots? And, and, and I find that very interesting. And but So God spoke to him, gave him a word of affirmation, and he did this. The last portion, the last uh, quarter or so of the book of Genesis, from chapters 37 through, through 50, were on Joseph. And, God's, and the scriptures tell us that God sent him ahead to preserve life, that Joseph was a shield for his family. Now, back to Exodus uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read the entire chapter and encourage you to follow along as I read. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly, became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Israelites came to dread, the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. 
and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you have helped the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but every girl let live. May God bless the reading of this, his own holy inspired word. Well, they've been transplanted down into Egypt and things are looking kind of dark. Things are getting kind of difficult. Remember the promises of God. The promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you will be like dust on the earth, like stars in the sky. And it is happening just as God told us. Remember, God tells us what he's going to do, and then he does it. And that's what's happening here. So they're down there, and they're multiplying. So let me ask you today, let me ask you a question. Are they a nation? We'll make you a great nation. Are they a nation yet? No, they're, they're not a nation. They're a large group of people, but it takes more than numbers to make a nation. The Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and so they oppressed them by making bricks and worked them hard in the field and instructed the midwives to kill every baby boy. And there's a great takeaway for us here. The midwives knew that this was wrong, and they disobeyed the king. It says this in Exodus 1, 20 and 21. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Note, God was kind, and God blessed them. There's a truth here, and it's this. There are times when obeying God means disobeying man's laws. That's what we have here. The law of the land, the king of the day. Pharaoh said, do this, and they said, we will not. That's wrong. And there's a time, there's a time, and there may be a time for us in our lifetime, I don't know, when, when standing for God and doing the right thing and not disobeying God means standing against a law that a man has made. So 350 years pass, and we get to Exodus chapter 1, and we, we encounter this man, well, we encounter this baby first, named Moses. And you know the story, if you've been in Sunday school, if you've been in church, you know the story on the river, and they have the, the basket, and they put him in the basket on the river, and his sister's watching, Miriam's watching the basket. And Pharaoh's sister comes along and takes him back home and raises, her as, raises him as her own son. And Moses spends the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's palace. And he was also being tutored by his mother, who was a nurse to him when he was young. So he was, 
he was thoroughly inculcated in the Hebrew culture and also taught all the Egyptian knowledge for 40 years. Wouldn't you like to know what he learned? It doesn't tell us. Sorry. Again, God gives us details about the midwives, and this skips over 40 years of the life of Moses. That's, the, that's what he does. God picks and chooses and tells us what we need to know, not what we want to know. Forty years pass. He's out, he sees an Egyptian. He knows he's, excuse me, he sees an Israelite. He knows he's an Israelite and he sees one of his own being oppressed by an Egyptian. And he makes two mistakes. Number one, he violated two of God's laws. One, he violated the principle of murder. We've been told back in Genesis 9, 6, not to take the life of a mother of another, that you're worthy of death if you take the life of another person. The second principle, though, he took upon himself was he was taking action to achieve this idea of building a nation. And he's not going to build a nation. God's going to build a nation, not Moses. God's going to build the nation. You see, the truth is we will never be effective for God until we humble ourselves and embrace that God is in charge and not us. That's simply said, hard lived. Simply said, hard to live. I doubt seriously that God ever starts anything with any of us until we come to the end of ourselves. So Moses runs for his life and he goes on the backside of the desert and he becomes a shepherd. So he's gone from the palace of Egypt, okay? He's gone from the palace of Egypt, now he's a shepherd on the other side of the desert. Let me give you an analogy. It's like being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and now you're homeless and living in your car. An old, a, a new car, one of these little cars, and you're sleeping in your car, okay? You know, I was thinking about that the other day, and, 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 and I know a fellow who sleeps in his car, and it's a little car, and he's not a little fellow. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, because I think about the cars back that I grew up with. My dad had a Chrysler, and it was about as long as this stage and half as wide. I mean, you could live in that car. You could have a bedroom, you could have a living room, you could have a kitchen. Moses, Moses on the backside of the desert. He's a shepherd. He's gone from the palace to being a shepherd. He gets to do this, <clears throat> he gets to enjoy this for 40 years. 40 years. His life breaks into three 40-year pieces. The palace, backside of the desert for 40 years. Then you get to chapter 3. And God shows up, and how does he show up? He shows up in a burning bush. What does it say in Exodus 3, verse 7? The Lord said, I have indeed <clears throat> excuse me, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands, hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious lands. Drop down to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way, <clears throat> excuse me, the, Israel, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring <clears throat> my people, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus 32. Turn over to Exodus 32 while I get a drink of water.
There's a tension here, okay, because I'm going to get ahead of myself, and I'm getting out into Exodus 32, and this is, a, this is after they're on the Exodus and all that stuff. But, again, who is going to deliver them? Who, is, who heard their oppression? Who heard their cry? God. God says, I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to deliver them. How is he going to do it? Well, a nation needs a leader. God gave them a leader. His name was Moses. In Exodus 32, okay, if you remember the story, Moses has been up on the mountain. He comes down. The people have rebelled, and they, were, they must have been Midwestern Israelites because they made a golden calf. You see, if they were from another country, it would have been a golden sheep or a golden chicken or a golden pig. But they were, they were Midwestern Israelites, so they made a golden calf. And they came down, and they were rebelling against God. And what, is, what does God say? In verse 7, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Your people, listen, your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Wait a minute, what did it say in chapter 3? It says God's going to bring them out. And so Moses, down in verse 11, then, then Moses says, Oh Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you, <laughs> whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? So who did it? Did God do it? Or did Moses do it? Who did it? Did God do it? Or did Moses do it? God says, you brought them out, Moses. And Moses, oh, no, 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 you brought them out. There's two principles at work here. The first one is the greatest principle in the Bible, and that is this. God works. That's what we see all through the Bible. God is at work all through the Bible. That's the greatest principle of the Bible. But there's a corollary to this. The corollary is this, God chooses to work through human beings. God chooses to work through people. He didn't have to. Uh, it, you know, when he created the earth, he created, created it ex nihilo, which means out of nothing in the Latin. God created everything out of nothing. He didn't need man to help him the creation but once we get into this journey of God working with human beings on this earth we're going to see time and time again that God works with people and we'll grapple with this tension and we're going to see that God doesn't speak directly to the people no God speaks through Moses to the people like this it's, it's God through Moses' people. It's never God speaking directly to the people. That's what we're going to see here. Uh, theologians call that theocratic leadership. Back to the story. So God tells Moses, he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And, and Moses says, uh, how will anybody know that I'm coming or whatever? He says, well, take a stick with you. Take, take your staff with you, and he has this magic staff, you know, that can gobble up and do different things. So he shows up, he shows up at Pharaoh's door, and he has a staff in his hand. Now hear me, hear me, this is not some, you know, this is not some first world country where there's the rule of law and people do things right. This is more like, this would be more like showing up in North Korea and going to see that guy that's wacko that's the dictator there it's showing up in his place where he does where he is the law and he does what he wants to do remember this pharaoh remember what he did he 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 wanted all these babies to be killed he just said the word and it happened if you remember the story of uh 
of Joseph. Remember that when he was in prison, there was the, the, the cupbearer and the, the baker that were in there. And he says, one of you is going to be restored to his place. The other one's going to be killed. And he went back and it says that Pharaoh on his birthday had this guy killed. That's a birthday party. That's just sick. I'm just telling you, but that's what it says happened. What I'm saying, these people were ruthless. And that's, so I'm just, I say all this, say, Moses had a lot of courage to go and do what he did, to show up at Pharaoh's door. Because all Pharaoh had to say was, you die. And he'd have been dead. And no one, no one would have questioned Pharaoh because he was the law of the land. Chapters 5 through 15 is the deliverance of God by ten plagues, and I hope you read through them. They're incredible. Ten chances that God is giving to Pharaoh. Ten chances for him to let his people go. God did it the hard way. There were all the, I mean, they just go through all these horrible plagues. If you read them, there's the river turns to blood, and there's flies and lice, and just all this stuff. And, and, and you wouldn't have done it that way, and I wouldn't have done it. We'd have, we'd have you know, called up the joint chiefs and said, let's send some, let's send some tomahawk missiles and, and stealth bombers and take out the Egyptians and, and uh, let's create enough transport helicopters to deliver all the Israelites and they can be in the promised land in three hours. That's how we would have done it. God did it the hard way. He did it his way. Because there's a, there's a sense here in which he's dealing with man and he's showing how he deals with man. He gives us chances to respond to his grace. And that's what he did with Pharaoh. He gave him a chance to respond to the grace. But there is a limit to the grace of God. And we see this before this happens and we see it after it happens. Before it, it says this in Genesis 6-3. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. That's when he was speaking in the times of Noah, in this life. After that, it says this in Hebrews 9, 27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. God's Spirit deals with us in this life. We have a chance to respond to God in this life. So, as gross as I think all the plagues were, I think they were an act of grace to Pharaoh to give him a chance to repent and to let the people of God go. I say all that to set up the last one because when we read about the last plague, the last, last one, it's so horrible. The death angel came through and the firstborn son in every family died. Every home that did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost on each side and over the cross, which if you connect, makes a cross. And that sounds so horrible to do that. But remember, God did not do that capriciously. He has been giving Pharaoh and the Egyptians time after time after time to repent. The very next day they left Egypt. It says in um, Exodus 12:40. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. So we go through a few chapters of the Bible and we read them in you know a half hour or whatever, and we get through Exodus to this. That's 430 years. It would be like if. Uh, 1587 to now. It would be like living at foreigners in a land in progressive slavery and oppression from before Plymouth Rock. 
before the early settlers on the East Coast and the Revolutionary War and Lewis and Clark and the Louisiana Purchase to the Western Movement, the war between the states, all of it, electricity, cars, planes, telephones, television, cell phones, internet, artificial intelligence, driverless cars, and nanotechnology. All that would have happened in our lives, or our people's lives, in these 430 years. This was a long time, which is a reminder of Gid, is that God has his own schedule. He doesn't work on our timetable, he works on his timetable. Exodus 13.3, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, the, the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. And this is a great remembrance for the Jewish people that is observed by Jews, Orthodox Jews to this day. This is the Passover. It was their defining moment. Nationally, we just celebrated the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. That was part of our defining moment. If you have given your life to Christ, the day you yielded your life to Christ was a defining moment. If you're married, that was a defining moment. If you have children, that was a defining moment. We have those. For the nation of Israel being delivered from Egypt after 430 years was their defining moment. And it's a great type in the Bible of salvation it's a great type of our deliverance from the slavery of sin. It is a foreshadowing of the death of Jesus, which is the pivot point of all history. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. All through the Old Testament, God continually says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. And I would submit to you that this is the greatest demonstration of power that we will see in our story, the greatest story that we will see until we get to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me wrap this up. The Israelites are traveling. Pharaoh realizes that he's lost his slave labor force. So he pursues them. And there they are, up against the Red Sea, no way out. Exodus 14, let's see, Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, crying out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So God tells Moses to take this staff, the rod of God, and hold it up. And he holds it up and the sea splits open. And they walk across on dry land. And the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord, in verse 19 of that chapter, says the angel of the Lord that had been leading them, because you always wonder about, okay, all these Egyptians are behind them and they're starting to cross. What, why didn't they just obliterate them right there? It says the angel of the Lord that had been leading them went behind them and created a pillar of darkness to stop the Egyptian army. 
So they're stopped by this pillar of army and the Israelites cross the Red Sea and then it lifts and the Egyptian army starts across the Red Sea and God had the water crash back in when Moses held up his rod again on the other side. And not one of them survived. And the promise of God that was given to Moses, you will never see them again. Remember he said, you'll never see these people again. It was true. You never saw them again. Again, all part of God's plan. Exodus 14.31 says this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, he's building a nation. A nation has to have a leader. Moses is the leader. So if you're on your chart and you see the, the people there and you see that black dot that's, that's in there, that's Moses. That's the leader God has chosen to lead his nation get to chapter 15 they they sing a song of Moses and Miriam and I don't have to I don't have time for it today but there's a 20th century version that has a verse about this and a song by Russ Taft called he came through and if so if you're a music person you ought to listen to that on YouTube I don't have time to do that Exodus 16 talks about manna manna means literally what is it what is it well the Bible tells us what it is in a little bit of detail uh, Numbers chapter 11, jumping ahead, chapter 11, verse 7. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled in the camp at night, the manna also came down. And somehow God created this this manna, and it had all, it had everything you need. It had protein, carbohydrates, vitamin C, vitamin E, riboflavin, niacin, I don't know, all that stuff, all those trace elements. It was all there because it's perfect food. Because you, you get over to Psalm 78, and it says that it was angels' food. That this was the food, I guess, that angels eat. It's referred to as angels' food in Psalm 78, 25. Chapter 18, our last chapter for today. It's the, Moses, it's the story of Moses being overworked by all the people coming to him, being overwhelmed. And Jethro, his father-in-law, shows up and he gives him excellent advice. He says, divide up the people and then find good men to lead them. And he says, these are the three qualifications that you need in your leaders. They need to be capable. In other words, they need to be competent. Second, they need to fear God. They need to be submissive to God. And third, they need to be trustworthy and hate dishonest gain. They need to be men of character. And I just want to tell you, if you're an employer today and you're looking for somebody, you could do a lot worse than look for those three things. Competence, a fear and submission to God, and honest character. We're going to stop here. It's a long reading for this next time. It's Exodus 19 through Numbers 13. Um, that's why I told you you need to be reading ahead, reading every week. Uh, there is a short reading in there for you. Back to the diagram. Let's look at it again briefly. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the 12 tribes, Joseph went down ahead of them. They went down to Egypt. Now we see them multiplying. That's all those little dots that you can't even count all those little pixels in there. Uh, and then the black dot is Moses, who is the leader. And that's where we are in our story, the greatest story of all. But it all started with a seed there at Abraham. 
You know, God made a mighty promise to him. He says, your name will be great. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. All nations will be blessed. And we're seeing this happening. They multiplied for 430 years and became a great people. He gave them a theocratic leader. Now they have a leader. And he started them on the road to Canaan where they're going to get a land. Because you see, if you're going to have a nation, you've got to have a people, and you've got to have a land, and you've got to have a leader. And we're going to see that story unwrap. So come back next week. You know where we're headed. It's just going to be, we're going to be plodding on this path regularly. Read ahead and be there for that. Newcomers, let me remind you of the, um, the brunch in rooms five and six after this service. Also, Etta, Etta, would you be down here after the service? If any of y'all want to come by and see Etta, she will be up here and please come and greet her. Let's stand for our closing prayer. Father, when sometimes we look at our world today and we forget, and so, Lord, we confess that to you. We forget that you're still at work today just like you were in the days of Moses. You're the same God. You have a story. You are creating your history. You are taking us to a destination where the whole earth one day will be filled with the glory of God. We're still on that path. Lord, we are called to not be afraid and to trust you just like the Israelites of yesteryear. So Lord, we look to you. Give us eyes of faith to see you. Help us to take whatever next step we need to take in following you. In Jesus' name, amen.